Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So good to have you here with us today. I hope you're doing well. Really do appreciate you being a part of the show. Hey, we got a great guest for you today. This is a speaker wizard that's been in the business for many years and has definitely learned a lot, has a lot to share with us today. And she's as sassy as all get out. So I think you're really going to enjoy this guest on today's show. Before we get to that, again, let me remind you, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to come hang out with us over at freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com. Every single week, we do a free live training teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So as you may know, we actually teach a system called the Speaker Success Roadmap, which is a five-step roadmap to teach you how exactly to find and book paid speaking engagements. So we walk through that system in depth on the webinar, on this training and walk through exactly what you need to do wherever you're at in your speaking journeys on how to find and book paid speaking engagement. So again, you definitely want to register for that over at freespeakerworkshop.com. And uh, we look forward to hanging out with you real soon. All right. So today we're talking with my friend Neen James, N-E-E-N James from neenjames.com. Neen is just a firecracker of a human and a firecracker of a speaker for sure. So uh, this is a great conversation where we talk about being comfortable in your own skin, using what may be perceived as a weakness, by others as strengths, meaning that you'll hear in a second, Neen has kind of a unique, what she would call a cartoonish voice. She's four foot 10 and a half, I believe is what she said, four foot 10 and a half. So she's a little short in stature there, but just again, a firecracker on stage. And so we talk about, you know, when you're getting started, if you feel like maybe like in her case, she felt like, you know, am I, is my voice sounds different or am I not tall enough to be a speaker? You know, do I not have what it takes? We talk that through. We just talk about how to set yourself apart as a speaker in a crowded, busy market. So as she was kind of figuring out what she wanted to speak about, it was kind of a popular topic. So how do you kind of work around that situation? We talk about how she discovered what to speak about, made the pivot actually to a slightly different topic as well. We talk about the, the women's market and converts and industries, uh, the pros and cons in that space. I have a lot of female speakers that reach out and say, hey, I want to speak to other women. I want to talk in the women's market and industry. Is there any even an industry for that? And so Neen gives some great insights on that. We talk about the international speaking market. Neen's done a lot of speaking internationally. She's from Australia. She lives in the US now. So she has a couple of insights to share there. Plus, she's been actively involved in the NSA, the National Speakers Association. So she gives some thoughts on the NSA as well. So just a great wide-ranging conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Neen's just a lot of fun, just a great gal. And uh, so let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my friend Neen James. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, I'm joined by the delightful Miss Neen James, who is a little firecracker. She's a little... How how tall are you, Neen? 4'10". And a half. And a half 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 matters. The same. But you like to rock heels to add a couple inches to you. Yeah, I have aspirations of being five feet one day. (laughs) 
You'll get there. Neen, thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you being here. You have been speaking for many years and you speak literally all over the world to some significant audiences. And so we definitely want to dig into your story about how you've done that and how you've built your speaking business. But let's start by just kind of give us the high level view of how much are you speaking? Who do you speak to? What do you speak about? What's kind of that nutshell? So for me, I average kind of 65 to 75 presentations a year. When I hear people say they speak 100 times a year, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Like that must suck, right? Yeah. But I do love it. And I think the sweet spot grant is probably 50. You know, if I could just do that, I think that's a really neat. That's kind of like once a week. So for me, my focus is corporate business. And so I've always, I grew up in corporate business. It's the audience that I love playing with. So most of my clients tend to be very large corporations. My strategy is always that I go in at the C-level and then I go quite deep. So I get to speak at the leadership level and then they invite me into their regions and their divisions. And that's how I built my speaking practice. So very much a corporate girl. My focus is on attention. So most of the world knows me in my focus on productivity. And we've evolved that brand to get more significant so that we can focus in really driving home. How do you get audiences to pay attention? How do you get your customers to pay attention? So it's this whole brand shift towards attention pays. And so that's the new book that's coming out this year. That's what I'm really excited about. So that's where I like to play is corporate business. Generally, that senior leadership, I do a lot of work with sales and leadership teams. Nice. I like it. Okay. There's a lot we can cover here. So let's backtrack a little bit. You said you kind of came out of the corporate world. So Mm -hmm. what were you pre-speaking days? What were you doing? So before I got into the world of speaking, which by the way, I didn't even know was like a real job. So I grew up fairly quickly in corporate business in Australia. I worked in retail banking, telecommunications and the oil industry. Got to imagine, Grant, there's not a lot of ticks in oil in Australia, but I had a blast. And in those roles, I was always the person who would volunteer to speak at the corporate conference or lead a project. And I was always on my feet. And then someone said, that's right, I was ready to kind of leave corporate business and set up my own shop, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And someone said, you know, you should be a speaker. And I remember saying to them, can you make any money out of that? Like, is that a real thing? Yeah. And then I learned there's not only it's not only a job, there's a whole association and a whole profession around it. And so I kind of fell into speaking in that sense. I set up my own company and I actually set up a training company, brought one of my team with me so that he could go out and deliver the training and then I could do the business development. But what was happening was a lot of people who knew my corporate reputation in Australia would ask me to come in and speak to their teams and say, how did you do that? How did you lead that initiative? And I had some fairly high profile projects in Australia. So I was a little spoiled that I got to lead some cool initiatives. And so that's how I got into speaking. So it was quite accidental. But then when I realized it was actually a real thing, I applied all the strategies from my corporate days to running a business. Because the challenge with this profession, as many of the listeners know, you can be great on the platform, but if you don't know how to run a business, you will not have a business. And that's the trick, I think, is that you've got to truly be able to be not only an exceptional speaker, but you've also got to be a great business person. So early on, since you said you were doing, someone else was going and giving the presentations, you were doing a lot of the biz dev part of it mm-hmm. and helping to find and book speaking engagements. What was working for you then early on, especially when you're, you've got some name and a little bit of reputation, you've got a few at bats, but you're still trying to get some traction there. What were you doing early on to get engagements? 
So I believe in having as much as you can templatized. And so I believe in creating scripts and processes. I'm a girl who systemizes everything. I think systems create freedom. The more systems you have, the easier you can replicate it. And so I developed basically scripts where I could leverage the relationships I had and say, hey, did you hear? I've gone out on my own. Here's some things I'm doing. I believe in having a positioning matrix, like a positioning statement that really distinguishes you from others. And I learned that through the thought leadership community in Australia. I was part of Thought Leaders Global, still am, which was led by Matt Church. I was so fortunate to have him as my mentor when I started speaking. And he is the founder of Thought Leaders Global. So I was privileged to have phenomenal mentors. But for me, it was just at the beginning, honey, it's a smile and dial game. It's literally, who do I know? and it's having a bazillion cups of coffee and phone calls and because I'm productive I then go well how do I combine that so I created a tally coffee so you make a coffee and I make a coffee and we talk on the tally phone (laughs) and it takes no more than 15 minutes so my whole practice was built on tally coffees I do tally cocktails on a Friday love those (laughs) but that's how I did it I literally hustled every single day and you know what all those years later, still do. You know, it's a hustle every day. You know that in this game. It's the only way to keep your calendar full. Yeah, it seems like there's so many times where, especially from the outside looking in, you're thinking there's some secret, there's some magic. And it's like, (laughs) the secret is there is no secret. Like the the way you get speaking gigs is that you just keeping your name in front of people. You continue to build relationships, long-term relationships for referrals, for repeat business. You'd be good on stage. Like there's just a lot of moving pieces. And so I think it's a great point from you of saying, however many years later you've been doing this, you've been extremely successful and it gets a little easier, but at the end of the day, you still have to honey. I think though, my goal is from every speech I do is to spin off gigs. So for people listening, that's obviously if you're newer to this business, that means every time you speak, two people come up and say, I want to book you for my event. That's a spin-off. So for me, that's a great benchmark. Now, if someone says to me, oh, that was a nice speech, I'm like, oh man, I bombed, right? So don't ever tell me it was nice because that's like awful. That's like the kiss of death. But if someone says, I have a leadership event, I'd love you to come and speak to my team, that's a sign of a great speech. So every time I stand and deliver a speech, when I stand in service of that audience, I want to make sure that I'm adding value so that someone else sees the value and says, hey, you know what? I need to bring her into my team as well. So that's another hustle, right? So you do have to be exceptional on the platform, but you've got to be sharing information and content that's customized for them so they can see you also serving another room of people. Funny because I customized so much. I remember a credit union recently that I served and in the audience, was a accountant and he came up to me and he said hey do you speak for accountants as well so what I'd done is I'd customized so heavily for the credit union industry that he was like oh I wonder if she can speak to accountants so that was actually a good lesson as well is there's that balance that you have to be able to play if you want to build your speaking practice of customizing for that audience but also showing them examples so they know that you can serve other audiences too and look even being in this game this long I was like oh that was a good lesson You mentioned early on that you started speaking primarily on productivity. How did you Mm -hmm. land on that as a topic? Because especially for speakers who may be getting started, there's a bunch of different things I could speak about. And you know that the worst answer is, what do you speak about? I I can speak about anything. What do you want me to speak about? So of all the things you could have spoke about, how did you land on productivity? So let me just be clear. I was like every other person who starts in this game. I was like, oh, teamwork. Sure. I've got experience in that. Oh yeah. Business development. Absolutely. Productivity. Hell yeah. 
oh, can I say that? Yeah. So I screwed up the same as everybody else does. And everyone would say, you got to get a niche. You got to get clear. You got to have a hook. And I'd be, honey, I got to put money in my bank account. So in the early days, I made the mistake every single speaker makes. And that is that I thought, and plus I've been a trainer. So trainers can speak on literally anything, right? But what happened was, I was always being asked, how do you do that? How do you get things done? How come you can do that? And I was thinking, well, God, it's just so easy. You just get it done. Like you make a list, you templatize. And I think what happened was productivity found me rather than me finding productivity. And one of the things I'd suggest to our listeners is there is something that you're intuitively good at. And often it's hard for you to unpack that for others because you just know how to do it. And so that's a really good indicator of maybe an era of thought leadership for the listeners. And that is there's something you are phenomenally good at. It's natural. It's something that you can just very instantly teach someone else how to do. But often we don't think of it as an asset because it's just what we do, right? Yeah, second nature. So Grant, and that was also too where Matt Church was very beneficial because when we started to explore what would my brand offering be in the market, what were the things I was really good at, what was intuitive to me, what did I have an enormous amount of experience in? And it was productivity. I'd led large teams. I'd spearheaded large projects. I had been the person that they'd come to in the company. One of my projects, they gave me The project was 10 months behind, needed to raise $10 million, and it had two months to launch. So the person in charge of it had kind of screwed up. And they came to me and said, can you fix this? I was like, of course I can fix it. And I didn't sleep for two months. (laughs) And I did raise the money and all of that kind of thing. But when you develop a reputation for being good at something, that's a good indicator that maybe others value that. So when I left corporate business, people would ask me, how do you do that? So maybe one of the things the listeners could do is do an audit on the things they're really good at, and that can give you an indication. We also need to be careful because productivity is a cluttered marketplace, and there are people who are really known well for this. Laura Stack, the productivity pro, not only as a speaker, but she developed a product suite of things that she could offer her audiences too. And so I have admiration for people who are also in the same category as me. So one of the things people need to look at is in their category, who is owning those categories? Who else is talking about it? My focus has always been that I don't believe in time management. And that certainly set me apart from a lot of other productivity speakers. And I'm not the girl who has the big to-do list and the laminated checklist. That's not me. And so my focus was really on how do you not manage time, but how do you fold time? And that was where I got the opportunity to have a unique brand. And the evolution of that was attention pays, the new focus. So I'd suggest to our listeners, you can't be jack of all trades because you are then the master of none, to use a cliche. Be brave and pick something and then test it out. And the great thing is you evolve as a speaker. You kind of touched on it. When it comes to something like productivity, you're exactly right. It's a huge topic. There's a lot oh, of yeah. people that speak on it. So, And even now, if you're speaking on, let's say, sales, you're talking to sales, sales teams, leadership, so, yeah, communication. There's, there's a lot of people doing that. So yeah. what has worked well for you to stand out from the crowd, to differentiate yourself, to know that in the crowded space, that when someone's looking for a sales speaker, that they're up, oh, we got to have Neen. Neen yeah. two person. So how do you stand out from the crowd? You know, I think what's interesting is it's the same thing as, you know, you said second nature before intuitive we're talking about. I am four foot 10 
and a half, let's be clear. I sound like I am a Pixar princess. So I'm like <laughs> five and I'm significantly older to anyone who's listening to this. I have a phenomenally high energy. So my meeting planners call me the energizer bunny, the energizer powerhouse. And what I learned was you have to be able to leverage your uniqueness. You want to honor the uniqueness that is you. People are buying now the brand. They say, I just want your energy at the conference. Well, that's fine. I can give them energy and I can give them content. But what people need to do to stand out is to truly amplify the authenticity that is them. So I kind of went against that. You know, I was like, well, I don't, you know, people had told me I needed to get voice coaching and change my voice and deepen my voice. And it was the only person who didn't tell me that was Matt Church who said, that's authentically you. That's what people are going to remember. And so it's interesting. Sometimes the things that make us rebookable the things that make us memorable, or as Patrick Henry says, be rememberable, they're the things that are just who we are. And so I think it's amplifying the uniqueness and the fabulousness that is you that makes you stand out, which I know it sounds crazy and everyone says be you, be passionate, be authentic, blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, there is some truth to that. When you got started, were you dealing with some of those insecurities of I'm short, yep. I have an accent? I have uh-huh. a unique voice. I have all these different things that may be, in theory, on paper, stacked against me. Uh, sure. I'm not some six eight Tony Robbins dominating <laughs> figure. Can you so, imagine? So how, <laughs> so how, like, did you deal with some of those insecurities? Of, yeah, like, I didn't call them insecurities. I'm pretty fearless, and so for me, there's unfortunately a sassiness to it. It was like, damn it, I am foot ten and a half. <laughs> Sounding like I'm five and I own it. And so it's not an insecurity as such, but it is a very big deal because think about the fact that I'm predominantly corporate. And so I remember a huge hospital asked me to speak to their senior leadership team. And we had a great conversation on email. We had a fantastic phone conversation. And my client will tell you this, when she stood me in front of the audience and I showed up in my little hot pink jacket with my high stilettos and she looked at me and said, and she watched around the room. These are all very senior executives. She thought to herself, oh my God, what have I done? Like, oh my God. <laughs> Literally within a minute, I could own the room, own the audience. So I think that those things, they were stacked up against me, but my job is to prove the credibility quickly. And so, yes, I play about my voice. In the first two minutes of every speech, I will make fun of my accent and the fact that I sound like I'm five and all those things. But interestingly, on a big screen, people don't realize how little I am until I come off stage. And then people are like, oh my God, like you're so tiny. But I think that you've got to understand what are the elephants in the room? What are the challenges? What are the things that people are going to notice about you that are different? And you need to be able to have confidence and speak to it directly. It's on my website. It's in my showreel. It's in my conversations with my client. And what I do is just make it okay. So I didn't feel like it was a concern when I first started, but everyone else thought it was. For example, the president of the National Speakers Association told me I had to get voice coaching. You know, I remember my boss at the time said, how are you going to make money out of that voice? Like nobody thought that I could make it, which kind of secretly also motivates me to go, screw you, like I'm going to do this anyway. So I probably shouldn't say that out loud. You can edit that (laughs) if you want, but that's probably the fearlessness and the sassiness to me too is like I actually know what I'm talking about. And if you sit up and listen, this will definitely change the way you show up on a daily basis. So people are like, huh, okay, she kind of knows this stuff. So I think speakers have to establish credibility and they have to do it quickly. And it seems like, you know, as a speaker, you know that the audience takes their cues from you, meaning that if it's not a big deal to you, it's not a big deal to them. 
And if right. you get uptight and stressed about something, they get uptight and stressed about something. You are right. setting the temperature for the room. So for you, if you're calling out the elephant in the room right out of the gate and they yeah. know it's not a big deal to you, then immediately they're like, oh, it's not a big deal to her. Why should it be a big deal to us? And then yeah. it's much easier to, to lock in and engage. And audiences come up to me at the end of the speech and they'll say, you know, after a moment, I forgot about your voice. Yeah. You know, so it is, it's really funny. But you know what's also interesting, Grant, is recently I screwed up big time and I had this big deal presentation, high stakes, important people in the room, small room, but it was a big deal for me. And I was trying to be like so perfect and polished and I was trying to be like making sure every word was incredible. This is recent, by the way. And at the time of recording, we're 2017. So let's say this was last year. And I totally screwed it up because I wasn't my best authentic self. I wasn't the playful person that I am. All the things my audiences are used to because I thought it had to be so incredibly perfect. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the speakers bureaus came up to me afterwards and said, what happened to Neen in the first two minutes? Like, where did she go? And it was, ugh, it was awful. It was such a tough lesson. So to people listening to this, it doesn't matter how long you've been in this business. You have some presentations where you hit it out of the park and you are having fun and you're on and the audience is with you and it's amazing and you get spin-off gigs. And then there's other days where you're like, oh man, that was just, that just sucked, right? right? So I don't think it matters how long you've been in this game. We all have really great days, but that is a presentation I will never forget. And I learned so much from you mentioned that for a while you were speaking on productivity today that you speak more on attention. How did you mm -hmm. make that pivot? How did you make that transition? Because you've positioned yourself as a productivity person. And now all mm -hmm. of a sudden people are like, Hey, we want to book you to talk about productivity. And you're like, well, I'd rather talk about this over here. So yeah, because there's a lot of speakers that are in that spot of I've known as this person, but I want mm -hmm. to be known as that person. So how have you made that shift? Yeah, the nice thing is attention is the evolution of productivity. So it's really not that big a pivot. So for me, Folding Time, which is one of my books that's popular in one of my programs, people call to book Folding Time. The book is still popular. And so I can say to them, hey, I'd love to do that program for you. But hey, here's some of my thinking right now. And I believe that attention is the true currency. And we're living in an attention deficit economy. And I give them my little spiel. And then for some clients, just one recently, I did a mishmash of both and they loved it. They wanted everyone to get the folding time book, which I signed for them, but they also wanted the attention focus. So I did a mishmash. So I think what it's about is it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what the client wants. So when they say we want folding time, and if they're adamant about that, that's the program we we'll deliver for that audience. But I think it's also our responsibility to continue to make our brand stronger and congruent. And my passion is in this area of attention. Now, when the new book comes out, that's an easier sell because people like to buy the speech and they love buying a book for everybody. But it's about what the audience wants and what's about what the client wants. Now, if a client says to me, can you speak on team building? I say, nope, but I can certainly recommend someone who can. Or if they say, can you speak on change? I say, nope, Judson Lapley, he'd be awesome on that. So I'm very clear too, Grant, about where I'm great and where I'm not. And I think historically when I was building my practice, I would do all the work and try and get a speech ready, but you can't leverage that. So if you're constantly creating a new speech to honor that client, then you're not actually practicing out your material and getting good at it. And Scott McCain really showed me that too. I mean, he's a master in the area of distinction, but he's a gentleman who has constantly reinvented and constantly kept evolving his message. He's a great role model for people to check out. So I think Coming back to your original question, it's not easy some days, but it's not about me. It's about that client and what they want. And here's the thing. If I recommend another speaker and then I've given that date away or given that job away, 
I've actually been a great resource for that client and a trusted advisor. But I always say to them, hey, consider me for next year if this topic does become important to you. And I'll also say to the speaker that I place in there, hey, make sure you mention me to the client. So I also have a personal policy grant that every time I do a speech, I give the meeting planner two names. So I'll plant a name before I go on stage and say, you know, Grant would be a really great speaker for you guys next year. I think the audience would love him. And then I go on stage, do my speech. And if I can, I incorporate you in my speech. And then when I come back off stage, because the meeting planner's happy, the client loves it, the audience has gone crazy, I'll say, you know who else would be awesome for this audience? I think Scott Stratton would be great here next year and they'd love him. Let me introduce you to Scott and Grant two great people for your room. So I always make sure I put my friends in as well. Now, if I'm working with a bureau, I always make sure I know who's on their suite that I know. So, And I say, hey, Patty from this bureau will be able to hook you up, but these two guys would be great. So I think it's important for us too to not just think about what does the client need now, but if you can't serve that need, who do you know that could? And I think that's important because my best jobs have come from other speakers. Yeah. Speakers get other speakers' work. Michael Port talks about this. Right. Friends get friends work. You know, that's important. And I think that we all need to do that to grow this industry. But you don't realize that early on because you think, well, we're all competitors. You're trying to get a gig and I'm trying to get the Oh, sure. But and the- you got to put money in your account. Right. That's reality. Pay your mortgage, pay your school loans, whatever you got to pay for. I get it. Right. But the reality, like you mentioned, is that even if you show up and you kill it, they won't have you back for three nope. to five years. Even <laughs> So building some some rapport with them of here's some other people you should talk to, knowing that if they show up and do a good job, it makes you look good. There's a greater likelihood that they're going to come back to you in three to five years and have you back. So true. And Grant, I have this rock star mastermind group and we have commercialized our mastermind group and we have done events where all five of us go into an event and get paid to do it. And that's like amazing and sometimes we'll say hey do you have an opener do you have a closer do you have entertainment do you have the after lunch speaker so we sell each other in it's so much more fun when one of your mates is on the agenda with you and you can have dinner and you can play and you can support their presentation and so I think too if this can be a really lonely business so if you can do it with friends even better very much so. It's very isolating. You don't think that because you think you're, well, you're on stage, you're the life of the party, but the reality is you're spending a lot of time in hotel rooms and in airports and away from your family. And it, can be, it can be very, very unglamorous and non-sexy. Sure. I want to shift gears for a second. So I know we have a lot of females that listen to the show and a lot of females that are interested in speaking and they want to speak to women's groups, women's conferences and want to, you know, maybe they've dealt with some type of personal obstacle that they want to speak on to help other women deal with something similar. I know you come from obviously the corporate space. And so that's not a ton of what you do. But as a female, I know that, you know, we talked a little offline that you've got a little at least insight into what the women's conference market is like. Any thoughts you can share on that for women's speakers? Yeah, absolutely. The way that I've commercialized the women's industry is for my corporate clients, I've established women's leadership programs for them internally. So I've helped design and I speak at them regularly. And some of them are now eight, 10 years on that I helped design originally. So there is money in the women's leadership market in corporate when it's done under the diversity and inclusion budgets or human resource or talent and development. Now, externally, though, the challenge is these phenomenal women's leadership conferences where everyone feels great and they do the rah-rah and blah, 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 they don't pay. So if you're listening to this and you want to go after the women's market, God bless you, but you need to put money in your bank account. So you've got to be super careful about the events you choose. There are about maybe 3 to 5% of the women's conferences who pay real speaker fees. And so you will very quickly learn who they are. 
but there are a lot of women's events where they expect their speakers to speak for free. And what's fascinating about that is the mentality that goes with it. Now, we hear that dreaded thing where people say, oh, it'll be great exposure. Well, you know what? I don't need more exposure. But that's how they try and sell it. Now, the other challenge that I've seen is that they try and make women feel bad. For example, I've had people say, well, Neen, you know, you've had this certain level of success and you've climbed this ladder. Isn't it your time to pay it all back and blah, blah, blah? Sure. I'm happy to help anyone. And this is my business. This is, I am the product, my time. If I take a date off my calendar, that's inventory I can't sell to someone else. So I think if you do want to pursue that industry, be very, very selective. You are welcome to do as many pro bono gigs as you want. But here's the thing. I love money. I figure the more money I make, the more I can give away. You don't even have to keep the money. That's totally your choice. If you have an issue with money, then give it away to someone. But I feel like I'm in a more empowered position by making money to give away money than doing everything for free. Believe me, I've spoken at women's events for free and happily still do so. But you got to pick your mark because I promise you, you will never run out of free women's events to speak at, but that will not help you commercialize your intellectual property. And if you truly want this to be a business rather than a hobby, you've got to choose those particular events that will also be able to accommodate this as a business. So just be careful. I think that there is a weird energy in some of the women's events where they try and make you feel bad if you don't want to speak for free. That's your choice. But like I said, I still speak for free. You bet. Like that's just, but they're things that I believe in, they're charities or events that I really want to support personally. But it's because I have a successful speaking practice that I can speak for free very happily. And when you're new at this business, I remember speaking for free so many times, it was just depressing. And I remember having to give up paid events because I had said that I would speak for free because I will always honor every commitment that I make and that stuff starts to drive you crazy so get ahead of it find the ones that are actually paying now if you go into the association world there are some associations that are specialty in the women's market who do pay their speakers while it may not be full fee they do pay so you just need to do some homework and the other thing that I started to ask people was who else spoke for you or investigate who spoke last year And then reach out to that speaker and say, you know, was there compensation involved in this? Did you do it out of the goodness of your heart? And remember, you're going to still have travel costs and you're going to have those lost opportunity costs because you can't sell that date again. That's a really long-winded answer to say be very careful, unfortunately. Well, it seems like there's always a huge overlap that you have to find between this is the group I want to talk to and this is the group that I'm passionate about talking to and this is what I want to talk about. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are paying for that or that that audience is interested in that. So finding the balance of this is what I want to talk about, but this is what groups and organizations are actually hiring speakers for and paying (laughs) speakers for and that I could actually make a living doing this. So it's funny to me because I can always pick a new speaker and that's not to be disrespectful, but all they're doing is talking about themselves, telling their story, they climbed a mountain, they had cancer, they had whatever. And that's not to be disrespectful. That's really important because that's their story. The audience doesn't care. And so I think everyone says they want to tell their story. They have a message for the world. Sure. And 
this is a profession. So you have to understand that you have to be able to take your message and then think, okay, who's really going to benefit from this? Who do I really want to play with? Because Every time you take one of those jobs, you're away from other people you love. So I have this philosophy that says I want to do what I love with people I love and places I love, which means when I choose my clients and I accept a job, I know that I'm saying no to something else. If I'm going to travel across to the West Coast to be with Paramount or Viacom, one of those guys, that means there's people here that I'm not going to be spending time with. So we have to be very diligent. I wish I'd learned that lesson earlier. And it's not that people didn't tell me the lesson. It's just that I didn't learn the lesson. So choose really, really well of where you're going to invest your time and energy because when you say yes to a client, you're saying no to other people that you share your life with. It's important. In the early days, you've got to hustle and you've got to speak. And the more you speak, the more you speak. That's really important. But as you get more established, choose wisely so you don't feel like you're wasting your time and energy. Very true. I want to shift gears for a second. You are from Australia. You live in the U.S. now. You've done mm-hmm. a lot of international speaking. Can you give us any insights on the international market? Because certainly most people that are listening to this, are, I know, are based in the U.S., but I know that we also have listeners all over the world who what the U.S. market looks like is very different than maybe Australia or Europe or other parts of the world. So any insights as you've kind of gallivanted around the world of what the speaking industry is like in other parts of the world? <laughs> I'm not sure this is my expertise, but I can tell you what I know to be true. And that is that at the end of the day, people are people and they genuinely want you to approach them with a sense of service. And I think if we stand as speakers in service of our audience, that crosses every cultural barrier. What always used to make me giggle in Australia is when Americans would come into Australia before I left here and they were like, oh, American sports and Americans rah-rah and motivational and we're great and they'd expect a standing ovation and Aussies would go, Hey, great job. Aussies don't give standing ovations. It's not what we do, right? Because we believe in equality. And so you did your job. We said, thanks. That's awesome. Great stuff, right? So Aussies are not as impressed as, say, maybe some of my Americans are. And so I think what we have to be super careful of as speakers, regardless of where we're from, is the stories we're telling, the examples we're using, the metaphors, the analogies, are they cross-cultural or are they, I mean, in America, we use sporting analogies for everything. And if you are that speaker... I mean, seriously, you got to get some more material. And so I think we have to deepen our expertise and our stories. So if you are going to do that, the other thing that I would suggest is, is this brilliant book, which was written forever ago, called Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands. And Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands is how to do business in 60 countries. In some countries, there are gestures and words and phrases that mean something completely different. And so even as an Aussie in America, I am a U.S. citizen now. I don't know if you knew that. But there are words we use in Australia that mean very rude things here or vice versa. So you just got to be super careful about the language palette, even the images you use on a slide deck. I've seen even some of my Canadian friends and some of my American friends have got grief over images that they've placed in their slide deck in other countries, which mean different things. So I think what you need to do is be insanely aware of the culture you're going into in Dubai when I'm in Dubai that's a very very different audience and women in Dubai is different that's changing but it's you know it's very different in the way that you respond in business in Asia there's a very different way to do business and a lot of businesses after hours so there's an entertainment piece around food and karaoke and things like that So you really got to know the culture before you go in. And I would recommend you buddy up with a speaker who knows that culture well. So if you're going to go into Asia or parts of the UK are very different, right? 
Canadians and Americans have very different senses of humor. Australians and Canadians have very similar senses of humor. So you just got to know, and jokes you tell in the US might fly really well with you, but they may not work as well overseas. So understand too. And then if you're working through a translator, there's the whole pause and gap and disconnect. So you got to slow everything down. And I speak at like a bazillion miles an hour. So there's those type of things you got to be aware of. If you want to pursue the international speaking game, you've also got to load your pricing because remember, not only are you speaking somewhere else, but you lose an enormous amount of time. So I would probably say no to more things than I say yes to because the time investment is significant and it's tough on your body. And so when you're running multiple time zones, I mean, sometimes I str- like I struggle from East Coast, West Coast, but I generally always keep an East Coast time zone no matter where I am, just easier for my body. Because in this industry, you are your product, your stage energy. That's tough when you're dealing with jet lag. So it's definitely not my expertise. There's so many people who know this more than me, but I would get myself a copy of Kiss Bow or Shake Hands if you're doing business or just go to, there's a website called Culturegram and you can download PDFs for the specific country that you're going to. So get educated in the cross-cultural piece and get a buddy who can give you some information. Cool, love it. We'll definitely link up to those in the show notes. I got a quick question on the NSA, not the scary one, but the good one. You've been a part of NSA for many years. Talk about the Uh NSA, the impact it's made on your business and your career and why other speakers should be aware of it and should check it out. The National Speakers Association is really the premier association for this profession. And so while as a speaking profession, we don't really have our own industry. We're more part of the meetings and events industry. There's some things that I've really loved about it. Some of my dearest friends, some of my deepest learnings and some of my best jobs have come from the National Speakers Association members. I was involved in Australia and served there locally and nationally. And then when I came to the US, it was the first community that I got involved in. And I got involved at a local level in a chapter, but also at a national level. I now serve on the national board of the National Speakers Association and also the foundation board, which serves you know, speakers who are in trouble and gives away grants. For me, what I found about NSA is there is a level of crazy. I mean, in any association, there's a level of crazy town people, right? So you're going to get that no matter where you go. But there's also an incredible level of generosity. And what I've found is they don't see each other as competitors, which is fascinating to me. And so the original founder, Cavett Robert, was all about creating an environment where people were very generous. And they, he has this saying of growing a bigger pie because he believes there's enough pie for everybody. And I see that. I see evidence of that. And so for me, I absolutely love their national convention. So if you're looking to invest in one of their events, it's basically the celebration and party of the year. It's called influence. And so you get to see every kind of business model, every kind of speaker on the main stage. It's a very diverse opportunity where you get to see speakers who contradict each other. I'll say, this is what's important. Someone else will say, don't do that. That's crazy. So that's really cool. But I also encourage people to check out their smaller events. There's an intimacy to their winter conference, which is only like 350 people. So it's low production. It's great sessions. So there's a couple of free resources people can check out. There's the Voices of Experience app, or VOE for short. And that's probably one of, I think, the most valuable things. My favorite year was 2013. It was headed by a guy called Theo Andros, and it was very business-oriented. So people might want to check out VOE and go back to some different years that have been recorded. There's also Speaker Magazine, which is their magazine they publish. You can go to speakermagazine.com and have a look at articles. So I'd encourage people just to check it out. It is... 
a very diverse group of people who are passionate about the spoken word, but it's also full of people who coach and write books and do consulting as well. So check out the National Speakers Association. Very cool. All right, I got one final question and I did not prep you for this. Uh, This is a question I ask all speakers. Tell me about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. All right. So as a speaker, you've had moments like you you kind of touched on this earlier that have gone really, really well and you just kill it. And then some days you're just like, something would just went off the rails. And I just, I, maybe it was the audience. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was just something weird that happened in the environment. Anything that comes to mind about a time where it couldn't be worse than this? I'm going to go back to my last year event. Like okay. it couldn't be worse than that because I nearly quit the business. It was awful. Okay. I was like, oh my gosh. But you know, it was so in my head. That was the problem. Yeah. Here's what happened. I had overprepared. I didn't show up as my best self. I put so much importance into the audience and made them out to be so important and so, you know, crazy big deal. And I was so practiced and I'm not practiced as a speaker. Not that I don't practice, but I'm not the perfect speaker kind of thing. Mm. And so all of those things. And then even when I got off stage, I was like, oh man, that was really tough. Cause I'm used to people laughing all the time and playing with me and responding and nothing just nothing. They just sat there. It was awful. And then when I got to meet the audience, they said, oh, nice job. That was great. That was good. Nice jobs like kiss of death, like I said before. So for me, at the point I was in my career, I know better. I knew everything that I had done wrong. I knew that I was too in my head and all I wanted to do was get on a plane and go home. It was awful. And then I had to see those people at night. Oh my God, that was like the worst. Then people said, hey, that was really great or I like that. And I wanted to say them, you could have said that to me this afternoon, right? <laughs> so it was just, but I'm not even kidding. I was really quite pathetic and I was really sad in my hotel room. And I remember calling my husband and saying, I quit. I quit the business. I'm not doing this anymore. I suck at this. It was very dramatic. And just to the listeners, I'm not that girl at (laughs) all. It was very, very pathetic. But, you know, I learned some amazing things. It made me change some things. It made me get really super, super clear on my attention message. Yeah. So good learning, tough learning. Beautiful. But yeah, hope that helps. Very good. Well, thank you for the uh, humility and vulnerability this year. (laughs) So, hey, Nina, if people want to find out more about you and where you're at, where can we go? neenjames.com n-e-e-n-j-m-e-s.com you can follow me on twitter at neenjames or facebook neenjames communications i'd love to connect let me know if i can help awesome neen thank you so much for the time we really appreciate you hanging out with us and i look forward to seeing what adventures you're up to in the near future my privilege thanks for everything you're doing this adds so much value to people All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Miss Neen James. Again, you can check out her site over at neenjames.com, N-E-E-N-J-A-M-E-S.com. Great stuff there from Neen. Hey, again, let me remind you, definitely want to check out freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, we do these free weekly live trainings teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So you definitely want to come hang out with us again over at freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.